Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. So often in our lives, it's those moments in which we lose ourselves that we truly find out who we really are. And that's especially true when it comes to faith. That's the subject of today's message, which is based on the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19 and is entitled, Losing Yourself, Finding Yourself. And it begins with another story, that of an old friend of mine from high school. His name was Joe, and I met him after he transferred to our high school at the beginning of our junior year. And for a couple of years there, he was amongst my closest friends. Looking back on it, however, I would have to say that Joe was unlike anybody I had ever met before. And in many ways, he was a bundle of contradictions. On the one hand, Joe was extremely likable. He was fun, he was friendly, he was outgoing, he had a ready sense of humor, he could always make you laugh, and he had an enthusiasm that was contagious. But, in all honesty, he could be loud, egotistical, overbearing, and patently obnoxious at times. He was incredibly impulsive. His big mouth was always getting him, in his, him into some sort of trouble. What's the expression? His mouth was always writing checks that he could not possibly cash. And more than once, those of us who hung out with him would often end up catching heat from, oh, I don't know, teachers, church youth group leaders, parents, over whatever it was Joe had done this time. Simply put, the guy could drive you nuts. And in all honesty, there were days you would see Joe coming towards you and you would just want to run the other way. But he also had about the world's biggest heart. Even back then, I always had the sense that, that all Joe really wanted was to make people like him. And so he'd go to these great, if often misguided, lengths to make that happen. So in the end, his friends, me among them, would just kind of put up with all the other stuff he'd do because you really could not help but like him. And because every once in a while, you would catch a glimmer of something really special in Joe about who he really was beneath all the bluster. Now, I should mention here that Joe was huge. He was built like a Patriots ba uh, linebacker. I swear the, the guy was as wide as he was tall. And to say the least, he was an imposing presence. But what you need to understand that within this hulk of a man beat the heart of a five-year-old. There was this one snowy night our senior year. And a group of us were walking up the street on our way to some school event or, or another. It must have been a concert or something, I'm guessing, because what I do remember very specifically is that we were all dressed up. 
And like I say, we are walking up the hill towards the school, and suddenly Joe lets out this ear-splitting Tarzan yell, which I will not try to imitate here. But you know the one I'm talking about. And he proceeds to run up the street, and then he leaps headfirst into a nearby snowbank. And as if that weren't enough, then he rolls around until he's covered with snow from head to foot. So when he emerges from the snowbank, Joe rather resembled a well-dressed abominable snowman. Now, it's funny the things you remember about this. What I remember is that the rest of us were way too cool for this. We were seniors after all. The girls that were with us were just rolling their eyes at how immature he was acting. But Joe just stood there and he smiled this broad, goofy grin and he said, Isn't this snow incredible? Isn't this great? You see, he'd gotten caught up in this childlike joy of new fallen snow. So much that it didn't even matter that 10 minutes later he'd be standing all soaked and shivering, dripping wet in our high school auditorium. And you see, the thing was, that was not unusual for him at all. With Joe, this is the kind of stuff that happened all the time. He would just lose himself in moments like that. And I came to realize that it was in those moments that Joe was the happiest because it was in those moments when he was the most himself. Over the couple of years I, I got to know Joe, I learned that his family life had never been all that easy. His father had walked out on the family years before. His mother, who was a wonderful woman, had worked hard to raise four children all on her own. And, and they'd lived several places before they finally moved to our town. So it was to to say the least, a difficult road for Joe. But you see, in those moments of joyous abandon, all of that, along with all the blustering behavior, all the vain attempts to try to be accepted and loved, all those things got lost in the snowbank. And in the process, Joe found himself. And we, by extension, had the joy of getting to know him and to love him for who he really was. Thinking of Joe always reminds me of something that the late Frederick Beekner once said about salvation. Beekner said, how, uh, talked about salvation as an experience first, and then a doctrine. And how in the experience of salvation, like so many of the very important things in life, two things happen. One, Beekner says, you lose yourself completely. And two, you find you're more yourself than you ever have been. Salvation, writes Beekner, this wonderfully intense experience of God's love is the kind of experience that you say yes to right to the roots of your hair. It is an awareness that makes it worth having been born just to have had happen. It's that incredible moment that you know with absolute certainty and perhaps much to your own surprise that you are exactly 
what God intends for you to be. Well, I think about Dietner's words, and I realize that that may well have been what happened to my friend Joe. And I know it's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus. Now, what we know about Zacchaeus, as we hear in the text that Juliana shared with us this morning, what we know about him, aside from the Sunday school song that tells us that he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, is that he was the chief tax collector for the Romans in the city of Jericho. And what that meant is that Zacchaeus was not exactly on anyone's top ten list of most admired citizens in that city. For you see, he was not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. And what that meant is that not only did Zacchaeus pretty much work as an extortionist for the occupying forces, he also made a rather healthy living in doing so. Zacchaeus was among the wealthiest and the most powerful men in Jericho, but he was also one of the most despised. And, and sadly, given his stature, shall we say, he was fairly well ridiculed. Basically, Zacchaeus was, to quote Frederick Beekner once again, a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. Beekner never sugarcoated it. And it was pretty interesting that he was that, considering his name in the original Greek translates as a word that means pure. Go figure. So basically what we can say here, friends, is that Zacchaeus' whole life was a contradiction. But the thing was, he knew it. He knew it. He knew what people were saying about them. He knew uh, what his job entailed and what it was doing to people. And he understood who he was. And he literally ate for something different. For something better. Something more in his life. Something more to be. And maybe, just maybe, he thought, he could find that something different in this man Jesus. This man Jesus that everybody was talking about and who, it turned out, was coming into town that very day. Zacchaeus knew somehow he had to be there. Only problem is, is that, yes, as we have mentioned, he was a bit short of stature, and there was no way he was ever going to be able to see Jesus over the heads of the crowd. So, in what I would consider to be one of the great comic moments of the Gospels, and there are a lot of them, actually, up the sycamore tree climbs Zacchaeus. And it did provide him a better view of things, but it also managed to make him look really like some demented monkey in front of every hater in Jericho. But here's the thing. Zacchaeus could not have cared less. So intent he was to see Jesus. So focused he was on finding whatever it was that Jesus might have to offer him. Zacchaeus had truly lost himself in that moment. Suddenly, in that moment, he is no longer the wealthy, powerful chief tax collector for the city of Jericho slash lackey for the oppressing Roman government. He's not the godfather anymore. 
He is just this guy who's lost. He's a guy who's utterly alone, but deeply yearning for something more and hanging on for dear life on some drooping sycamore tree branch. And here's the best part of the story. Jesus does come by. And the moment Jesus spies Zacchaeus up in the tree, he points, I'm guessing, and he says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your home today. And then, just as Zacchaeus is scrambling down from the tree, I'm guessing actually he fell out of the tree, probably out of sheer astonishment that Jesus had actually noticed him there. There's this crowd of onlookers who hasted to point out that Jesus was about to become the house guest of this man who was not only the local mobster, but a man who had clearly gone a little bit crazy. But Jesus is just as quick to point out that the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. See, the point of this wonderful little story is that Zacchaeus had been saved by losing himself in this determination to get to Jesus. Zacchaeus had found himself as the person that God had created him to be all along, which was to be God's very own beloved, to be forgiven, to be free, and more himself than ever before now. Zacchaeus was ready to live the kind of life that he always wanted to live, even if he didn't know he wanted that. He was ready and already on the way to making amends with those he defrauded, giving half of his possessions to the poor. Jesus was right. This day salvation had indeed come to the house of Zacchaeus. You know, a story like this, a story I know that a lot of us have heard since the days we went to Sunday school as little children, a story like this makes me wonder how many of us have found ourselves looking in the mirror only to realize that we barely recognize the person we see there. Perhaps there are a few of us here this morning who are silently but painfully aware that somewhere along the line we misplace the values and the standards that we once held so dear to our hearts. That over time and circumstance, our our priorities for life and living shifted, and not for the better. Realizing that we are who we are, but we really aren't who we're supposed to be. You know what I mean? How many of us here today I wonder, have hearts that are aching for something more for our lives? Well, if that's the case, beloved, may I suggest that now might be a good time for you to go and climb up a sycamore tree? Oh, I don't know. Taking a cue from my old friend Joe, maybe go jump in a snowbank, or yes, in the absence of snow, To go run through a pile of leaves? I think there's a lot of them along the sidewalks this week. Or for that matter, friends, let's talk about being bold, shall we? Let's talk about being impulsive enough 
to step out of our comfort zones just long enough to reach out in love to someone out there who nobody loves. Or to make decision to be just nuts enough to actually live out our lives acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. And to do it not just philosophically, mind you, but in doing it and living it out in everything that we do. To be foolish, foolish enough to give of ourselves and our resources in the same manner that God continually reaches out in love and surprises us. In the words in Paul's letter of 2 Thessalonians, to surprise with God who surprises us with gifts of unending help and confidence, putting a fresh heart in us, invigorating our work and enlivening our speech. Because you know what, spiritually speaking at least, it's good to be foolish. It's great to go and run through some leaf piles. It's great to jump into snowbanks. Because friends, what that kind of holy foolishness represents is a determination to be where we are and who we are and what we are before God. It's embracing our salvation in Christ Jesus, the su supreme, sufficient, definitive, and indestructible fulfillment of our very being. It's losing yourself and then finding yourself becoming brand new, but actually discovering in the process that you are what you've always been and what you have always been, what you are and what you shall forever be is beautiful. It has always seemed to me, you know, that this is precisely the place where we begin as believers. It is the firm footing on which all of us together stand as the church of Jesus Christ. We are a people who are beautifully ourselves by God's love and grace. People who are just foolish enough to show it to the world. So what I'd suggest to you today is that we start. Let's find a few sycamores to climb. Let's find the good news that is ours and then just go out there and proclaim it. Let's lose ourselves in Christ's presence so that we might find ourselves in the joy of life and living. And let's show that joy as persons and as a people. Let's show our love. And let's be the children of God that we were always meant to be. For this will be the sign for all around that salvation has come into our house and our lives this very day. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Losing Yourself, Finding Yourself. It was recorded during our October the 30th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire.
where we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. I would love to have the chance to welcome you, and I know you'll be glad that you came. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We will talk to you soon.